And as we come to Leviticus, remember, this is the worship handbook for the Jews in the Old Testament. There at Mount Sinai, when God gave them the Ten Commandments, the moral law, and the civil law of how to function with your neighbors, he gave them the religious law. And these three things make up the law of God, as it's referred to in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And in this element of worship, all these things that we're studying are a shadow of things to come or a foreshadow, but Christ is the fullness. So we see Jesus, in, as we're just seeing about Jesus, till he returns or calls me home, we see Jesus in all these offerings, and we see the distinctions of these offerings that we saw last week. So coming forward, really emphasizing the peace offering, emphasizing the peace offering last week with Jesus, we pick it up tonight in chapter 5. So we've covered the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, and the sin offering. But tonight we get the trespass offering, and then we get the five of them collectively expanded. So we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 5 tonight, where we read this. There at Mount Sinai, these are the details of the worship for God's people in that covenant with the Lord about 1500 B.C., the Jewish nation and the Mosaic Covenant. If a person sins in the hearing and utterance of an oath and is a witness, whether he is seen or not, whether he is seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears his guilt. Or if a person touches an unclean thing, whether it's a carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of unclean livestock or the carcass of unclean creeping things, he is unaware of it. He also shall be unclean and guilty. Or if he touches human uncleanness, whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, he is unaware of it. When he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Or if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. And it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing, and he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin which he's committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a kid of goats as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. If he is not able to bring a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord for his trespass which he has committed two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. So here we see these two offerings going together, by the way, the sin and the burnt. That's worth noting. Verse 8, and he shall bring them to the priest who shall offer that which is for the sin offering first and wring off its head from its neck and but shall not divide it completely. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar. That's the bronze altar of sacrifice that we studied previously. And the rest of the blood shall be drained out on the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And he shall offer the second as a burnt offering according to the prescribed manner. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin, which he has committed, and it shall be forgiven him. But if he's not able to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, then he whose sin shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, nor shall he put frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And then he shall bring it to the priest. The priest shall take a handful of it as a memorial portion, burn it on the altar according to the offerings made by fire to the Lord. It is a sin offering. The priest shall make atonement for him, for his sin that he's committed and in these matters, and it shall be forgiven him. The rest of that offering shall be the priest as a grain offering for the priest. And so as we go forward tonight, we're going to see this where these offerings come forth. They serve a specific purpose for the people bringing the offering, and they all, again, speak of Christ. They all have some purpose. We talked about this. Some are like a free will offering, a memorial offering. The peace offering was a volitional peace offering to just make peace with God. But Last week when we left off with the sin offering, that was 
anybody. So a ruler of the people, a common person, a religious leader, anybody, anyhow. So the sin offering covered everybody. And we talked about this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the sin offering really speaks of our sinful nature. For in Adam, all sin and die. And we're all descendants of Adam. So we all have a sinful nature. It's in our nature that we sin. But the trespass offering, slightly distinct, but in the same household or in the same neighborhood, is the actions of sin. So we have a sin nature, and then we reveal our sin nature by acts of rebellion against God. That is the trespass. And so there is a distinction, and they are paired up later on in the text tonight, the two of them together, even as the burnt offering and the sin offering have already been, or the trespass offering have already been paired up in what we just read here in chapter 5. So that's the distinction, that the trespass offering is something you've actually done specifically. We covered this a little bit Saturday night in a preview of tonight, and we pointed out in the first part of this chapter, if a person sins by hearing, if a person sins by touching, and if a person sins by speaking, yeah, this is what we do, right? We sin by what we listen to when we shouldn't be listening to something. We sin by things we touch, our actions, and we sin by things that we speak of. And so... It's a personal accountability for actions that reflect a sinful nature that are transgressions. And this is what precedes the trespass offering. You also notice in the context that it starts with the, the lamb or the goat. And then if you can't do that, then you can bring the turtle dove or the pigeons. And if you can't do that, then you can bring the ephah of fine flour. I like this because it shows us and reminds us that God meets us all where we're at. I mean, in that society... A livestock, livestock had value. It's like assets. And not everybody has the, the money or the assets to bring a sheep or a goat every time they mess up. And we're reminded of this even when Jesus was dedicated, that when Joseph and Jesus dedicated, excuse me, when Joseph and Mary dedicated Jesus there in the Gospel of Luke, they brought the turtle doves, which is reflective that they were living in poverty at the time. And so it's kind of staggered in how you'd bring your trespass offering that because we all sin and not everyone can bring a, a goat or a lamb but if you can't bring a goat or a lamb god knows your heart bring the two birds if you can't bring the birds man figure it out bring some flour and make that offering your trespass offering so i like this that it's staggered by actually economic status but god receives all three equally in receiving of the forgiveness and it pronounces forgiveness for the person and the individual that offered up the trespass offering. I think that's beautiful and it's worth our note. Before we move on, though, there's one more point of application or a deeper point of application we want to look at. Back in the early verses here in verse 3, it sizes it, he shall be guilty. And then it says later on again in the next verse, verse 4, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. So, We'll see even later on in tonight's t text that we're reading that whether you realize it or not, you're guilty. You'll, we'll see that in the law of offerings coming up. But in this specific case of the trespass offering, we, this individual who would bring this offering, when they realize what they've done wrong, then they were accountable to take action to bring the trespass offering. So it's kind of like in the Lord's Prayer Jesus gave provision, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer as a template or even as an actual prayer, both are fine, and we say, Lord, just please forgive my sins today, help me to forgive others, that's kind of a general generic prayer, right? I mean, it's general generic. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to blow it today. I blew it yesterday, and I'm trying not to, but my intentions are good. So, Lord, please forgive me of my sins and help me to go forward to the, this day and be gracious with others. But in this case, it goes a little deeper, 
where it's sort of like when King David had sinned with his sin against Bathsheba and thought he'd gotten away with it. And then Nathan the prophet comes to him, tells him the elaborate story. This is about 1000 BC about the lamb and the neighbor taking the poor man's lamb, the man who had many lambs taking his neighbor's lamb, his only lamb, his special pet lamb, and, and taking that lamb and killing it. And David was so furious that who would do this? Who would do this? Have all these lambs and take someone else's lamb and kill it? You know, I'll kill the man who would do this. And Nathan the prophet says, thou art the man. For God gave you everything, and you could have had any women you wanted, but you took this man's wife. See, that's the realization of the trespass offering. And it was at that point that David said, I have sinned, and the Lord can do whatever is right. He wrote Psalm 51, I was born in sin, I was born a sinner. And he you know, said, created me a clean heart in Psalm 51. So that's a really good example where the awareness of sin, of course David's a sinner, he knows he's a sinner. He wrote the, you know, Psalm 23 and all these other songs. But when... Nathan confronted him and said, thou art the man, see the realization. And what do we find with David in that situation? Well, David and Bathsheba lost the baby, which was heartbreaking to David, obviously. But David didn't find forgiveness. He was promised forgiveness, and he maintained the role of king. There were consequences, which there always are. But he was forgiven. And see, in this this text we read, there is forgiveness. So we consider this and take to heart that when we realize there's a There's a greater accountability to acknowledge that and act upon that and respond to that with a contrite heart. Because even David said in Psalm 51, what is the the Lord delight in sacrifices? No, but in a humble and contrite heart, that's what the sacrifice the Lord wants. He doesn't want the outward religion because we did something wrong or generic, I'm a sinner. He wants the inward tender heart of a different attitude, a clean heart, O Lord, creating me a clean heart and take not thy spirit from me. He wants someone who's really remorseful and penitent and repentant over their sins. And this is what the trespass offering does because it says, I'm not just a sinner. I'm not just a ruler or a king or a priest or a common person that sinned. I did something specifically, deliberately, well, evil. That's, that's an action of what I heard, what I touched, and what I said. And now it's come to my memory, and I'm going to make it right. And that's what we need to do. We're going to, we need to make it right. So we go to the New Testament, and we think what Paul the Apostle said to the Corinthians concerning communion. He said, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves and take inventory. Don't be in such a hurry, especially here in Southern California. And one thing I do like about the COVID situation is less traffic or no traffic. I don't have to think what time of day I'm going to drive to San Diego or come back from San Diego. I wish it was like that all the time. And I certainly wish it was like that, but not because of COVID. Slow things down because we go really fast in Orange County. A lot of us are like busy, busy. And what has COVID-19 been? A timeout, slowing down, downshifting. And when we realize our sins, it's usually because we've slowed down and we're seeking the Lord and we're thinking about things. We're praying for people. We're reading the scriptures and we're meditating upon his word. Psalm 1, blessed is the man or woman who delights himself in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. It's when we do those things that we're examining and considering God's word, we're meditating upon his word, reflecting on his word, writing in our journal applications, where suddenly it hits us like, wow, I need to, I need to call that person and say, I'm sorry. Or I should just reach out to that person because that was kind of like a, a broken thing and I need to try and restore it. Or, wow, I never paid that person back for that thing and I said I, I would cover it. Like, when you slow down and you examine yourself or you suddenly realize, like, why did I say that? I need to apologize for saying that. That's what happens when we examine ourselves. And that's why it's so important to examine ourselves. And before I move on, I just add this other thought to this. King David, again, when he wrote Psalm 139, 
He said, search me, O God, and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. So David himself learned through all his life experiences, where can I go from your spirit? I can't go to the ends of the year. Wherever I go, if I go to the highest heights, you're in heaven. If I go to the depths of the grave, you're, you're there. There's nowhere we can run from you and go from your spirit. So therefore, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And that's an important application. So when we think about the application for a believer and follower of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, on this day, July 14th, 2020, in the middle of the latest restrictions and frustrations, exasperations and exhaustions of this thing that we're going through on a planet level, on the whole planet, and particularly here in our country and in our own state in a very profound way, it's a good time to just search ourselves and invite the Lord to search ourselves. For the Spirit of God searches the human, the people of God in ways that our own spirit can't even. So if we invite him, it's a good thing. It may not be a pleasant thing, but it's a good thing because ultimately anything that the Lord reveals to us when he's examining us or we're allowing him to examine us and tell us what we need to hear, anything that he brings to light that we can correct and make straight, it's better for us. It's what if this is the last year of humanity as we know it? I mean, like what if Jesus is coming back and the church age is done in 2020? I mean, we don't want to be so busy that we miss something the Holy Spirit wants to show us. We want to get that right. I mean, it's not going to, we're saved by the blood and grace in Jesus Christ. So it's not so much our salvation, but really like, I want to feel good when the trumpet sounds. I want to feel good when I'm breathing my last. I don't want to feel like, oh my goodness, suddenly these things come to light or we're standing before the Lord and all things are tested by fire, that there's things he wanted to show us in time, space, and matter, but we never slowed down. We never took time to examine ourselves and we never invited him to examine us to make those things right, which means the timeline of life, we have stunted growth like we never became what we're supposed to be. If we don't let the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit examine us and fix us on a, on a sensitive, daily, seasonal level, we're not going to become who we're meant to be, and we're going to be stunted in our growth, and we're, not, we're going to be less than what we're meant to be for all eternity. So it's really important when she realizes it, when he realizes it, and we have that sense of guilt, like the Holy Spirit, like Nathan saying to David, you are the one, that needs to happen. And when it happens, for me, for you, all of us, we can grow. And we really want it to happen in the summer of 2020. Because the Lord's right at the door. He's right at the door. He's right here at the door. And we want it to happen anyways if we don't think he's at the door. But he's at the door. So let's ask the Lord, invite the Lord to examine us. And let's be open to what he wants to adjust in us to make us better versions of who we're meant to be by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life and journey of faith with him. We pick it up in verse 14. Then the Lord, now actually if we read on from here, we're going to read not just this latter part of chapter 5, but the first part of chapter 6, because it's connected. So verse 14 of chapter 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, If a person commits a trespass and sins unintentionally in regard to the holy things of the Lord, then he shall bring to the Lord as a trespass offering a ram without blemish from the flocks. With your valuation in shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, as a trespass offering. And he shall make restitution for the harm that he's done in regard to the holy thing, and shall add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering, and shall be forgiven him. If a person sins and commits any of these things which are forbidden to be done 
by the commandments of the Lord, though he does not know it, yet he is guilty and shall bear his iniquity. And he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish from the flock with your valuation as a trespass offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him regarding his ignorance in which he erred and did not know it, and it shall be forgiven him. It is a trespass offering. He has certainly trespassed against the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he's exhorted from his neighborhood, from his neighbor, or if he's found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely. If any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he has sinned and is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he has uh, exhorted uh, or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or lost, which he found, or all that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore it full value, add one-fifth more to it, and give it to whomever it belongs. On the day of his trespass offering, he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. So the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. I really like this because there's a few things in this segment of scripture that gets my attention and does encourage me. And again, we just see the grace of the Lord here. We see the Father's heart, but we see the grace of the Lord, which of course is the Father's heart. Now, we see here that if the person sins unintentionally, the holy things, the first part of verse 14 and then 15, that they are to make restitution. So once they know that they've sinned and once they're aware of it, it says here in verse 16, they make restitution for the harm and they add one-fifth to it and give it to the priest. So that's a 20% penalty, right? Okay, you know, it's like when you don't pay off your credit card or something, right, and you borrow the money, and some, hopefully your credit card's a lot less than 20%, but if you've got bad credit or you're getting worked on your credit, that credit card can go like 22% and go higher. That's a really high interest rate, right? I mean, when someone takes advantage of someone in a purchase of an item and you get tagged for 20%, that's a really large amount of money. But in this case, 20%, it's costing the guilty something. So we saw here and we see here that the person is forgiven. It's full forgiveness. We see grace, there's forgiveness. But in an act of repentance, and again, uh, to be penitent, there is an action by which to make things right. Now, we see this in the court of law all the time. We see all the time that when people are found guilty of something, there can be financial fines. So if you caused a fire and there was arson and it caused this damage, you might have to pay the damage plus additional damage, and you might just have to do jail. Like, you do jail and you're fined. And you might be having your earnings garnished for the rest of your life to make restitution for something that you did that affected someone else in society and cost them money. And aren't you glad that God holds people accountable in his word to harming other people and their property? Let's think that through. I mean, aren't you glad that in God's economy and in God's government, people don't get away with stuff? Like, aren't you glad that if someone stole something from you in God's economy, they're accountable to restore it and return 10%, 20%. When I was in France in 2017 at the World Surfing Games, and that $5,000 camera that belonged to this church and the lens was stolen from me. Within a brief window, within a matter of a few seconds, someone that's a very good thief stole that camera. 
I was so frustrated. I was so upset. And the Lord just put on my heart, let it go. Don't worry about it. Focus on what you're here for. And uh, we did get an insurance settlement. The insurance didn't need to pay for it. They weren't obligated. They were really gracious. We had great insurance. And they gave like half the value, like 2500 back on the camera. But what's interesting is in that case of that theft and that inappropriate action, an insurance company paid half of the $5,000 value of the camera, the lens, and all that stuff. So we, restored, we were restored 50% of the value. We never replaced the camera or the lens. We never did. But we received monetary compensation of 50% what was stolen from me on behalf of this church with Team USA at the World Surfing Games. 50, 50% back. But still 50% less than what the value was. Well, that was, we were very grateful, Jeremy, all of us. We were like, yeah, that's really cool. We thanked the insurance people. Thank you so much. And it was a blessing because we didn't think we were getting anything. But now think about this. The person that stole that camera in this rendering of God's law for the trespass offering, so they're, they're, they stole from me and from this church's assets. That camera was bought with the offerings of this church like 10 years ago. That lens, all that, for all that we were doing with Beyond the Dream outreaches, the Chilean surf team, and all that we did, it was part of our supplies, uh, uh, supplies that we purchased for ministry that we did. It was paid for with tithes of WG. And this person, we don't know who they were, they stole it. And they were crafting how they did it. In God's economy, according to this, they would pay the full $5,000 to restore the camera plus another $1,000, 20% on top of it. See, that would be justice. That would be God's justice. And let's think about that. Don't you think that sounds just? And that person would be wanting forgiveness for it. So they would be penitent and repentant. So they would essentially make right, they're held accountable to make right what they did wrong to me, us, the persons, individuals. You saw it in first part of chapter six. And then they add 20% to that. That's God's justice. And that's good justice. And that deters the thief from stealing again. It helps the person who's the victim to feel better about what happened. They're more inclined to forgive because there's been, it's not only been made equal right, but there's a 20% add-on. It's like, okay, yeah, it's all good. It's all good, bro. Like, you know what? We've all made stupid mistakes. You stole my camera. It's all good. It doesn't normally happen like that in life, does it? Honestly, we know it doesn't normally happen like that, and we hope for good judges when things like that happen that there would be justice of that type of nature. And there's good judges and bad judges like everything else in life, and I'm sure there's some judges that are very good about holding criminals accountable for their actions, maybe some not so much. But at any rate, when you compare our own experiences and the human experience with how men govern, how men do things, and justice or injustice, and put God's word over that, you realize how beautiful God's word is. And not is it beautiful for the victim to get full restoration, 20% return, but it's good for the perpetrator, for the perp, as they say, because the perpetrator gets forgiven. Look what it says there in that last verse. It says in verse 7, he shall be forgiven. And you know, that's why children, when you have younger children and you discipline them, in many cases, they, when they feel guilty, they need to be disciplined so they can be released from that and they feel a sense of that they've made things right. Like when you just let naughty kids get away with naughty things all the time and they say they're sorry but there's no accountability for it and you just replace what they broke or you don't hold them accountable for what they broke, they, 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 don't, they don't gain the value of the forgiveness and they don't gain the value of what it costs to make things right. But when you discipline your children and they lose privileges and maybe they've been spanked and maybe they can't do something they wanted to do. I remember when I was caught trying to steal baseball cards from 7-Eleven when I was about eight years old in Virginia. 
that um, I couldn't have baseball cards for a full year. That was the one thing I loved more than anything else, collecting baseball cards, and that just tore me up. And the worst thing was I was trying to put them back. I felt so guilty stealing the baseball cards at 7-Eleven. I got in the car and went back to put them back, and I got caught putting them back. But no one believed me because I was a pathological liar at the age of eight. So, uh, but the one time I saw the truth, it wasn't believed. But there was consequences. My mom held me accountable. I was spanked. I couldn't have baseball cards for a year. Like, that's how it works. But I, through disciplining, would sense forgiveness and the, the forgiveness of being restored to your parents or whatever. This is really important. Because if you just punish the person and they pay 20% on top of what they did wrong, but they're not forgiven, that falls short of God's grace and God's economy what he wants to do. He wants to restore that person. So he wants the person, the victim, to find justice. But he also wants the perp to find a roadmap and a path for restoration and healing so they can get on with their life. That's the heart of God, and it's beautiful. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of renewal. He's the God of hope. He's the God of revival. And this, this is beautiful because it allows forgiveness to be experienced by the person, the, per, the perpetrator, and that extra fine on top of it gives them a sense that they made right what was wrong, and they can go home and wake up on Monday and begin to live their life the way they're meant to be at the Lord, as can their neighbor who they burned and ripped off right down the street. So that neighbor can look at them and hopefully forgive them. God's forgiven them, and we all can live in unity and harmony. That's perfect justice, God's way. We don't see it in the human experience. We certainly don't see it in our country right now, but know this, in the coming kingdom, yeah. The lion and the lamb, it's all going to work out. I just love the beauty of God's word. And this is why I want to read Leviticus, right? It's beautiful. It's law. It's just beautiful. It's just awesome. Shall be forgiven. That's what we all need. The bulk of all problems of, of psychological problems and sociological problems are the lack of forgiveness and the need to be forgiven. And look what God provides right there at the trespass offering. Now we read on in verse 8 of chapter 6. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it, and the priest shall put on his linen garment, and his linen trousers shall put on his body, and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire is consumed on the altar. He shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garment, put on the other garment, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. And he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offering. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So here with the law of the burnt offering, the priest has to change his garments to dispose of the ashes, which again just points to us how holy the priesthood is and what a holy place this is, even though it's a bloody place, the, the bronze altar, it's still a holy place. And you put on your holiness when you come there with these offerings, the priest did, and then when you dispose these ashes, you got to change because that's outside. That's outside. This is a special place, the tabernacle. It's good to understand that distinction of, of uh, clean, unclean, holy, unholy. Verse 14. So that was the law of the burnt offering. We just, you know, now we go on to the law of the grain offering. So again, these are these offerings, but there's a, a, an expounding. See, because when we read the burnt offering before, we didn't read about the priest and his trousers and changing his clothes and, and before he goes outside the tabernacle area. So these are expanding. These are expanding insights to these five offerings. The law of the grain offering, the sons of Aaron, verse 14, shall offer on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with the oil, all the frankincense, 
which is on the grain offering, and shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial to the Lord. Now notice the grain offering has the frankincense and the oils, but when the grain is used in the trespass offering, it does not. There's a distinction. Verse 16. And the remainder of Aaron and his sons shall eat it. They will eat. With unleavened bread it shall be eaten in a holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting, they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I've given it as their portion of my offering made by fire. It is most holy. Like the sin offering and the trespass offering, all the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statue forever in your generations concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord beginning on the day when he's anointed, one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a daily grain, half of it in the morning, half of it at night. It shall be made in a pan with fire. When it is mixed, it shall bring it in. The baked pieces of the grain offering you shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from among his sons, who is anointed in his place, shall offer it. It is a statute forever to the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. So here's the distinction. When the people brought their offerings, the priests derived their livelihood in the service of the priesthood, and God gave them portions of those offerings for their food and daily sustenance, literally their daily bread with the grain. But this last part here we just read, verse 19 through 23, it's the priest's offering for the priest. So it's not like, you get, it's not like a double dip, right? Like they're, they're offering for them. They can't give their offering and go back and take it back, which, by the way, is kind of what the Pharisees did and what Jesus chastised them for. Because when they accused him of not washing his hands before eating, he said, you don't keep the commandments. You add to the commandments and you nullify the commandments. And so one of the things that the priests did is they would take their parents' estates and money and say, it's Corbin to the Lord, give it to the Lord, then take it for themselves. See, we can do all kinds of weird things when we get religious and we can justify all kinds of evil things if we're willing to go down that road. So don't go down that road. When we make an offering for our offering, it's the Lord's. God knows our heart. And so he held the priests accountable. You have an offering, Aaron and his sons, and that's mine. And you don't eat that. You don't eat that. You eat what the people bring. That's mine. It's important to know these distinctions. Verse 24, the law of the sin offering. Also the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, the sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when the blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. And it is boiled in a bronze pot. It shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat. It is most holy. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought in the tabernacle meeting to make atonement in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burned in the fire. So distinctions, distinctions. And again, we've been mentioning this. I'm sure there's sanitary elements to this. Think about this. The earthen vessel, it's, you know, it's dealing with blood and stuff. That one, there's no redeeming the earthen vessel. You, you break that, one and done. Like uh, disposable <laughs> picnic items, you know? It's one and done. It's been done, you, you throw it out. It's a plastic bowl at a picnic at the beach. It's done. But if it's a bronze pot, you got to scour and rinse it. So proper sanitation Again, because you're dealing with things that can become infected. As we go forward in the book of Leviticus, we're going to see some amazing things about how you handle plagues and infections from God's word. And of all times in 
my life to be teaching Leviticus verse by verse, summer of 2020 during COVID-19. I can't wait to get there, but that's for a couple weeks down the road when we get to it. But whatever all the males amongst the priests can eat that which God's determined for them, but what they can't eat, they can't eat. It's important we understand distinctions. There are distinctions with the Lord, and we need to be in tune with those distinctions and things the details, God is in the details, and we can never forget that. So the priests were accountable to know these details. And even as today a pastor is told to rightfully divide the word of truth, a workman to not be ashamed, well, so too, preaching the Old Testament need to be priests who could rightfully divide the truth. And they could do their services and know what's theirs, what's not, how to represent the Lord to the people when they're with the people, how to represent the people to the Lord and with the Lord, what to wear when they go into work, what they take off when they go out to do this part of work. You know, like you need to know. You need to know. And so I think there's a lot of application there that we need to be sensitive to the details of our life with the Lord and what he has for us. Chapter 7 now. We read this. Now this is the law of the trespass offering. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. And its blood shall be sprinkled all around on the altar. And he shall offer from it all of its fat, the fat tail, the fat and the covers, the entrails, the two kidneys, the fat that's on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's a trespass offering. Every male among the priests may eat it. So see that detail? Every male among the priests can eat this trespass offering. We read on. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It's most holy. So they can eat it, but it has to be eaten in the holy place. You've already seen that, but I point that out here. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. And again, we talked about this. They're like next-door neighbors without offense. Trespass and sin, they go together, but they are distinct. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. So the priest that served the people when they brought these offerings, he would make the atonement. So he's representing at one minute between God and men with their sin. So he's the mediator, the priest, and whoever's the priest that day working that day, he does the service, he does the business, he makes atonement for it. Then he can have the priest portion because he's doing the work and he can have the priest portion. It says in verse 8, And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering, which he has offered. Also, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pans or in the pans shall be the priest who offers it. In other words, you work, you get the food. You don't work, you get the food. It's like it says in the New Testament. If a man doesn't work, let him not eat. So you see, the priest works, does the job, then he gets to eat the food. So these are your people that you're serving, what they brought, God's God has ordained that that's your provision and your sustenance for you in your calling and your livelihood. In other words, even with the Lord, and especially with the Lord, we might be saved by grace, but there's a work for us to do, and he holds us accountable to do it, and that's our stewardship. Every grain offering, verse 10, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron to one as much as the other. So you see, you see this plurality of it where they're in it together, but yet the one who does that work, that's his. It's kind of like... We have people in our church that work under commission in different stores where they're commissioned, say like a phone store or something, and they're all getting a base salary. But if you serve these customers and it's kind of like dumb luck, you might get someone coming in and buying five cell phones. You might just have bad luck for a while where you're, you're selling phone cases. You get the customer that wants a phone case. And then this guy over here gets the customer who's buying five cell phones for the family that just moved here from somewhere overseas, right? But that's how it works sometimes. And, you know, a man can receive nothing that comes from the Lord. But you see that commission-based type of thing. And that's just, so they all got, they're all kind of in this base pay together. But if you're the one doing the job, that's your grain. I just find it very interesting. And so you see almost the 
the balance of what we call, uh, I don't even see a balance where there's a plurality of fairness in sense, but then there is a distinction of service and compensation for that service. It's healthy. Everything God does is good, isn't it? The law is good. It's so beautiful. I love just reading stuff like this. Like, God's the best boss. Have you, are you reading that? Like, he's the best boss. Like, you'd love to go to work for the Lord. By the way, I've been watching all these Russian TV shows, learning Russian, because they're in Russian, and that's how you learn a language. You watch it on TV. So I watch all these Russian TV shows, and almost every Russian TV show, the boss is not a good boss. It's Venice. You know, it's always like the bad boss, and they steal the project and take the credit for it. Like, that's the Russian way. You know, it's like, I'm like, oh, what a terrible boss. You know, and they get another boss in there, a terrible boss. Like, can anyone find a good boss? It's like a storyline in Russian TV shows and movies. God's a good boss. God is a great boss. He's super fair, and everything he does is just, true, noble, praiseworthy, and honorary, uh, and, and virtuous and beautiful. And so we work, we serve him as followers of Christ, and wherever we go, serving the Lord in whatever field in humanity that he places us, we should be wonderful people for considered masters or servants, as it says in Colossians and Ephesians. Such a good, look how God takes care of his people. This, you're like, oh, what's my, what's my package deal? What's my compensation? Well, if you're a priest, this is looking pretty good. But you better change your pants when you take the ashes out. Verse 11, the law of the peace offering. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offering, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes or blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes, as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So see, leavened bread can be offered with thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkle the blood of the peace offering. You work, you get compensated. Verse 15. The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten in the same day it is offered, but he shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, so here's a distinction. It shall be eaten in the same day that he offered his sacrifice, but on the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. So some of these offerings, you can only eat it that day. Some offerings, you can eat it the next day, like you keep it going on the barbecue. And then no matter what, the third day, you can't have it. You know, it'd be pretty crispy anyways, but you can't have it. It's, it's not allowed. Verse 18, and if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering is eaten on the third day, because somebody always wants to go eat the barbecue that's overcooked, right, on the third day. So if they think they're going to do that, it shall not be accepted. The purpose of the offering shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed. In other words, what it represents for forgiveness, it won't apply. It shall be an abomination, so it gets worse. Not only do you not get credit like you've been forgiven, you brought the offering, but now it's an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear his guilt. Verse 19, the flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire, and as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as a human uncleanness, an animal uncleanness or abominable unclean things, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. This uncleanness, we're going to get a lot of this as we progress in Leviticus, what uncleanness looks like, what constitutes uncleanness. Again, a lot of it practically is hygienic, just 
like washing your hands before you eat. What's the number one basic thing what they say with COVID that we can agree with anything on COVID and any illness? Wash your hands. Hygienic stuff, right? But again, Jesus taught when he confronted the Pharisees, washing your hands doesn't affect you spiritually. It might be good for you like what you're eating, but it's not what goes into a man defiles him, what comes out of his heart. So the external stuff, that has no spiritual value, but it does have common sense value. But in this case, it goes beyond the common sense value because it symbolizes spiritual value in the case of the priest. So the touching of unclean things not only would be unsanitary in a hygienic manner, but it also represents spiritually being unclean and defying ourselves. And we'll get a lot of this as we go deeper into Leviticus. So they're cut off. Like, oh, what's so bad you didn't wash your hands? Especially in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't make a big deal about it because of what it represents. It's not about the washing of hands. It's about the heart being clean or unclean. That's what it represents. And so I come back here just for a moment to verse 18 where it says that if it's eaten this way on the third day, if it can be eaten on the second day, it can be eaten on the first day, as I was touching on that a moment ago, it shall not be accepted. These things happen. And so this just reminds us yet again, and I touched on it briefly a moment ago, but God is in the details. And here we see there's order, design, and specific things the way God wants to do it. And we see that in his universe. We see it in the laws of nature, the physical laws. We see it in spiritual laws with sowing and reaping and other things like that. We just see it. And we just need to be reminded that as I, I'll be honest, as a pastor, I'm trying to navigate COVID-19 and, and the layers of government, the, the federal government, the state government, county government, state uh, health department, county health department, city of Fountain Valley, city council. It, there's layers and layers and layers of government that affect who we as a church, as a legal entity are. And as you go down in government, you cannot uh, dec- decrease the government, but you can expand the government. Local government can expand from what's above it, but they can't decrease what's above them. And so you, you, we've all been trying to follow all these things, all these decrees, all these regulations and rules. And we also know that we're in emergency measure laws, and these things will be fought in court for years to come. So we're in such an ambiguous gray area right now on all the legal stuff, because on the federal level, there's all kinds of conflicts between the president and the federal government and states. And on state governments, there's all kinds of conflicts between cities and counties. I mean, remember when Gavin Newsom was threatening lawsuits against the city of Huntington Beach just a month and a half ago? So we have all these things. And here we are, pastors or leaders of the church with legal responsibilities and, more importantly, spiritual responsibilities to lead the flocks. So you can imagine what a challenging time it is. It's just a very difficult, challenging time for everybody. What if you owned a restaurant in Huntington Beach? It's a difficult time for you. What if you owned a bar? You were just starting to get your revenue going, and now you're closed. It's not my business if you own a bar, but if you own a bar, you have a right to own a bar, and now it's closed. It's just been really hard for everybody, a salon, a barber, whatever, and it's just such a tough time. Why is one wash, a car wash open and another car wash isn't open? It's just arbitrary and random. And so there's a lot of hostility and a lot of animosity in a lot of different directions. Wear your mask. Don't wear your mask. Do the mask work? And I said this the other night. You have people that can give the strongest defense possible that the masks are worthless. But you have other people in the medical field who give a defense that the masks are actually very valuable. Who can know? Because none of us are PhDs unless you're watching this, or none of us are doctors unless you are a doctor. Because there's professional opinions on both sides. 
there's division in the churches right now. So this is what I come back to, and I mentioned this Saturday night. It says in Hebrews that we desire to live honorably with a good conscience before God and men. So when I look at here and it says, okay, this is what you do with one day. This is what you do with two days. This is what you do on the third day. You don't do this. You don't do that. It's order, design, and specific. So let me just say this on behalf of worship generation, the Calvary Chapel movement, the evangelical church in America. As a pastor who believes the gospel, believes the Bible, and believes Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and every word of God is to be believed and applied, that all scripture is profitable for everything in life from Genesis to Revelation. Let me say this clearly. It is a very challenging time for church leaders, so keep us in prayer. And we're doing our best to read orders, decrees, specifics of God's word and to rightfully handle it as we receive these things from governments of men, knowing that Jesus is a higher authority than the authority of men, but he does appoint governments, and we're trying to find the right balance in all of this, just like every generation the church has under very difficult times in different times of bygone generations. So keep us in prayer, because what it really comes down to is I want to be faithful to God's details and specifics and order in his word, and I want to be able to be sure I'm rightfully reading his word in context as it applies to my life and my responsibilities as a disciple a husband, a father, and a pastor. And I need your prayers because pastors are all over the place right now, as are businesses and churches and sincere believers in the education field all over the place. The whole planet's wonky. So I'll pray for you, you pray for me. But I know this, God's word does not change and he exalts his word above his name and not one jot or tittle will fail when it's all said and done. So this is the time we press in the Lord. And if he says, you can eat flesh on the first day, you can. The second day, you can. The third, then don't. We're all trying to find our way. So men will have their opinions, but God's word is true, and every man can be proven a liar. So this is a time that we get into his word and let the specifics on something like the law of peace offering. Obviously, Jesus is our peace, and we're not bringing these offerings, but the principles are here that we can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So dig deep, body of Christ. And so when you say you're going to sing to the Lord, because that's a higher law than the laws of men, make sure you know why you believe that, why you're standing on it, and you're willing to go down with that, which I am. Just make sure. Not just me, you. Because when the worship leaders come, I'm calling saying, are you comfortable leading worship? Because it's the only thing that we're choosing to honor God over. Render to God the things that are God, that's worship and praise, and to Caesar the things that are Caesar. I pay my taxes, we pay our taxes, we do what we do. But I know that we've taken a stand that we're going to sing praises to the Lord, and we're going to worship him. And I'm comfortable with that, our leadership's comfortable with that, and I hope that you're comfortable with that. Is singing that important? Yes, it is. I taught it in detail, and if you haven't heard what I said on Saturday night, you can go back and listen to it on YouTube. He's in the details. And his word has to guide and govern us, no matter what. Such difficult times we're in, you need to go into the word and know the details and rightfully divide it and rightfully apply it. And one man sings one day, another, another, let each be convinced in their own mind. Some people don't want to sing. Some people are singing like, we're going to sing, and knowing we're going to sue you to not let us sing. Some people are just singing. And like I said the other night, in tears to family and friends, I'm not looking for conflict with anybody, but I'm a pastor, and I know he inhabits the praise of his people, and he is pleased with singing. And it's New Testament, 
It's what's been done, it's always been done. It's the hallmark of the Byzantinian Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, the history of all the churches, of church history, as you study it, people sing. They sing in the catacombs when they're about to be burned at the stake and ripped apart by lions. We sing, just know that. He's in the details. I showed the scriptures why we sing and why we'll keep singing. Just know what you know and why you know it. Now we're almost done. Verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat of ox or sheep or a goat, and the fat of an animal that dies naturally, and the fat of what is torn by wild beasts may be used in any other way, but you shall not by no means eat it. For whoever eats the fat of the animal of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood of any of your dwellings, whether of bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people." We covered this before. The fat and the blood is the Lord's. Don't touch it. Don't even go there. Stay away from it. It's it's the Lord's. And that's how some things are. The things that revealed belong to us and to our children. The secret thing belongs to the Lord. If he doesn't want to tell you why fat and blood, he can tell you why fat and blood. He doesn't have to. If he says no fat, no blood, there's no fat, no blood. In the context of the Old Testament with the offering. Blood is reaffirmed in the New Testament, by the way, just so you know. Fat is not. Again, rightfully divided in the word of God. But in this context, what I'm talking about is the macro things of the Lord. There are things he says, don't do, so don't do them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, verse 28, verse 29, saying, he who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hand shall bring the offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat which the breast he shall bring. The breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord, and the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his sons. So they get, the, they get the breast of the offering. Also, verse 32, the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifice of your peace offering. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. So you see, you give the Lord the fat and the blood. That's his. The thigh, the breast, that's yours. You need to know what's yours and what's his. Verse 34. For the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I've taken from the children of Israel from the sacrifice of their peace offering and I've given them to Aaron and the priest and his sons for the children of Israel by a statute forever. This is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons from the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to the minister to the Lord as a priest. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations, the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. So there it is, seven chapters of five offerings with subcategories of those offerings, the wave, the heave, consecration, all these things. And then we move on to Aaron and their priesthood and their service in the next chapters when we get to them next time. But there are seven chapters here about these offerings. They all foreshadow Christ, as I mentioned, and speak of Christ one way or another. And I leave you with this last thought that it says where the Lord said in verse 35 that these are the consecrated portions for Aaron and his sons. And let me say to all of you tonight before we go our way and we pray, God has consecrated portions for all of us. He has consecrated portions. Our lives are a consecrated portion. He has provision for our lives. He gives, he's given us to all things pertaining to life and godliness. And he has things consecrated for our life. He's going to provide for us all that he wants to do in and through our life. 
and we don't need to be freaking out with anxiety over what might happen tomorrow. Jesus told us absolutely to not do that. Be anxious for nothing. God takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. But to cast our cares upon him, for he cares for us. And we can just know that as he provided for Aaron the priest, he's going to provide for us. So don't fear the dark day and the dark time. Fear the Lord. Stay on your knees. Hear the Lord. Be right with the Lord. And, um, you know, know that he's a helper. And what is man that he, what can he do to us? God is my helper. And we're going to do the best we can. Right? In Jesus' name.